Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 50 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Heather Henson joins us on the podcast today. She's such an interesting person and has such a fantastic life story, plus the fact that she is an accomplished writer of children's books, young adult fiction, and now her first novel. What a treat it must have been for you, Heather, to have seen uh, that book, or for that matter, all of your books (laughs) on the shelves at Joseph Beth Booksellers in Lexington Green. She'll be back to that bookstore on October the 29th as uh, just one of our authors for the 41st Kentucky Book Festival, along with headliners such as John Meacham, Barbara Kingsolver, Silas House, Wendell Berry, Crystal Wilkinson, and many, many, many more. They'll just, uh, we have uh, a book for everyone uh, under the sun. And uh, Heather, you'll be right there. Oh, uh, I it'll can't be, wait. Will it be your first Kentucky Book Festival or it your first not. at Joseph Beth? It's my first at Joseph Beth. I have not been there for the Kentucky Book Festival, but I have been doing, I've been doing the Book Festival on and off for the past 20 years, actually. But um, I love it. And, and thank you so much for having me, Bill, and the Kentucky Humanities Council. Thank you. But you all do an awesome job. It's the best book festival in the country, I think. Hey, thank you. It's uh, <laughs> One of the largest, for sure, yeah. and the only one held in a bookstore. Uh, I don't, you know, that yeah. doesn't. And uh, but but folks who uh, haven't been to Joseph Beth last year will just have to come out and visit us and and see how cool it is. I, I really do. I, I say this maybe too much. I think it's one of the best days Kentucky has to offer yeah. the entire Commonwealth. It's uh, writers and and families and children, and we're doing more with children's events and anytime you can throw in a a Wendell Berry or oh, a Barbara I mean, King's you just listed all the people that are, you know, my icons of and the the people I look up to as so it's great. And it's 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 such a great time for writers to get together and and meet as well, you know, and, and they we, love maybe that. we haven't seen each other or we've yeah. never met before and so it, it's wonderful. It's a yeah. wonderful experience. Well thank you for coming in today and we'll talk about uh, as many of your books as we can. But <laughs> Before we even get to that point, uh, I, I said to the listeners, you have such an interesting life story. So I want you to talk a little bit about that, okay. uh, your your background in theater in Danville and how all that happened. And then let's let's take the story okay. from there. Great. All right. Well, I grew up in Danville, Kentucky, and um, I grew up at Pioneer Playhouse, which is actually Kentucky's oldest outdoor theater. My dad started it in 1950, Eben Henson. He had a dream to bring Broadway to the bluegrass, and, and that's what we've been doing for 73 years, and I'm now the managing director of that. But I grew up on stage with um, acting in plays and being behind the scenes, and so, you know, I grew up in a small town in Kentucky, but in this magical world of theater, and, you know, I really think it just... it. it I became who I am today because I, I grew up in this kind of kind of crazy world of theater. You know, I don't know if there were many kids who had their own costume room full of costumes or every summer had to, um, you know, help get a theater up and running. Um, but it was, you know, it, it 
it was a magical world and my parents always said to us you can do what you want to do you know you could be a writer you could be an actress I mean I definitely thought at first I'd be an actress but I've turned out to be a writer <laughs> and um, so that sort of gave you the, the the grounding but you decided instead of maybe uh, attending university or um, staying in Kentucky. Uh, I did stay in Kentucky for one year. I went to Northern Kentucky University. I really enjoyed it. They have an amazing theater program because that's what I thought I wanted to do then. Um, but then, you know, I, I my brother was in New York. Um, we kind of had a history of going to New York every year. My dad auditioned actors in New York every year. So it kind of was not that unusual for a small town girl to say, hey, I want to go to New York. So I went there um, uh, for the rest of my school for at the new school and just loved it, loved New York City. But always came home to Kentucky. Um, always when I started to write, everything I've ever written um, has been uh, about Kentucky. My roots are deeply planted here, and and now I'm here. I've been living here now for almost 20 years. So, so tell me about your New York experience uh, after the New School, what you did, and 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 how uh, being in the Big Apple exposed you to uh, the writing that uh, you did there, and the editing, and and then what you're doing today. Okay. Yeah, well, I graduated and, and you know, I had a degree in creative writing, which, uh, you know, is not the easiest thing to get a job with. You're like, huh, what are you going to do? But um, I started temping. The temp agency sent me to Harper and Row. Um, I got into publishing, started out as an editorial assistant, and worked my way up to editor over the next 10 years, um, and realized uh, that temp, the temp job, you know, not only became a permanent job in the Harper and Row at the time, Harper and Row Children's, um, not only a permanent position, but a calling. I mean, I really kind of felt that I was called to start writing children's books. I edited children's books um, for ten years and and really found a love for that. And actually, recently, one of my uh, one of my mentors from the new school uh, gotten back in touch with me and she said, hey, you know, um, you're you're still writing children's books. Don't you want to write for grownups now? Like, aren't you a little tired? You're older. Don't you want to? And, you know, that kind of, it kind of got me down, I have to admit, for a little bit. And I was like, you know, maybe I should be writing for grownups. But, you know, I went to my editor and I told her about this comment and she said, Heather, never forget that you are writing for the most important group because without kids discovering a book that they love, where are the future, where are the grown-up readers going to come from? So that yeah. made me feel better. Well, I'm, I'm <laughs> glad you felt better about it because, I mean, with your success and with the number of children's books uh, that you, you have written, uh, uh, we often uh, hear this, too, about our literacy program uh, maybe expanding that in some way and doing pre-K and uh, someone in the literacy world said, uh, gosh, you do such a good job with primetime family reading. Uh, stick with that. Uh, perfect it. Uh, continue to work mm -hmm, on it. So mm -hmm. it didn't get us uh, as down as uh, it right. sounded like you were. <laughs> but, but let me ask you a very simple question um, yeah. that I've, I'm curious about. Uh, when you say you edited children's books, what, what did you do as an editor of children's books? Um, 
As an editor, you know, when what I discovered uh, when I started temping and what I really didn't know about children's books is that an editor really works with the writer, you know, on perfecting the story and, and going all to the, the different drafts on the story. But then they also work with the illustrator. They have to find an illustrator for that story. Um, and then they're working with the illustrator on how to tell a story in basically 32 pages. If it's a picture book, it's 32 pages. It could be 40. It might be 48. Um, but you're telling us you're breaking it down into basically 12 spreads and you have to tell a whole story in that amount of time um, and I had studied film as well as writing in college and so it really spoke to the things that I loved um, in film you learn that you have to storyboard your film that you're working on and so it was kind of the same um, so I really I really enjoyed it I worked there for 10 years um, and just had a love, you know, of working with both the artists, with the visual. I think because I'm a very visual writer as well, that spoke to me. Did you, um, can you give us the name or title of an author or two that, that you uh, edited for and that, um, I mean, I know you, you got a credit somewhere uh, <laughs> in the book, but of course it's, it's by so-and-so. Yes. And um, well, um, one thing I uh, worked on when I was a young editor was um, uh, the Little House books, Little House on the Prairie, oh, when yeah. they were kind of repackaging them, um, not doing new covers by any means, but kind of infusing them with color and, and doing a little bit more. So when I left... Harper, one of the at full time, one of the things that I was hired to do was adapt the Little House books by Laura Ingalls, Ingalls Wilder into chapter books. So adapting them into for a younger market. So I did about fifty of those actually, mm. um, and my name is on the copyright page. Mm. Um, and then based on that, I was also hired to do a series based on Ma when she was a little girl. Um, and those are called the Caroline years. And um, I can tell you my, my pen name for that was Celia Wilkins. So hmm. there's a series out there, the Caroline years with Celia Wilkins. So you, um, <laughs> why didn't you use your real name? Well, um, that's kind of a publishing thing. Um, they wanted Wilkins uh, because that would go next to Wilder. So on the book, <laughs> on the bookshelf, it would be right there for you to see. And Celia is my middle name. So. Yeah, oh, well, that worked out well then. <laughs> So uh, publishing, and, and what, what decade was this? How, how you, was 90s, this? 90s, wow. and uh, into, yeah, yeah, Plus. yeah, I'm old. Mm. <laughs> no, 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 it's just that, that publishing has undergone such so massive much. change and it's, merger and, and, and challenges and maybe difficulties. Yeah, I, um, even at the time, it was always, you know, tumultuous, like, you know, companies being bought and people being let go. So, I mean, I feel like there's always been ups and downs in publishing um, and uh, continues that way. But I, I'm pretty proud of the fact that I've been in uh, the world of publishing and working on children's books for basically 25 years. So you did a lot of that in New York, and then at uh, some point uh, decided uh, that you might return to Kentucky yeah. and, and continue your writing. You, you did that for the theater yes, uh, to help the family, mm -hmm. um, but you were also continuing to write at that time? Yes. Also? I mean, another thing was I was, I was writing uh, my first picture book, um, Angel Coming, was about the um, Frontier Nursing Service of Eastern Kentucky. So I had... 
I had come upon a story in the Lexington paper when I was home visiting um, in the summer for the Pioneer Playhouse, because I would come home every summer to visit um, and to help at Pioneer Playhouse. Even if I had a full-time job, I'd take time off to come to Kentucky. Um, and I saw an, an article in the paper about the frontier nurses uh, that went into the mountains in the 1920s. And, and uh, one of the things that the paper said was that when kids asked where babies came from in the mountains, they were told that the angels brought them in their saddlebags. And that was just like a, I said, I have to write about that. I have to write about that. So I did research on that. Um, so my first picture book was written in New York City, um, but about Kentucky, a Kentucky story. And so I've always felt that I'm a Kentucky writer and write Kentucky stories. Uh, we don't want to fast forward just yet to talk about uh, Wrecked, but uh, we're, we're going to save that, a, yeah. another Kentucky story. What other Kentucky-based uh, stories uh, have you written and tell us a little bit about them. Well, after that, Angel Coming, um, and let me just put a little aside. I, uh, you know, I used a midwife in Brooklyn, New York to deliver my first child. Uh, we had never talked about the fact that I was from Kentucky. Um, you know, it was just about baby care, you know, the care, what was going to happen. Um, and I ran into her later um, after the after Daniel was born. And I said, hey, I've written this book that's being published about the Pack Horse Librarian. I mean, I'm sorry, about the Frontier Nursing Service um, who were midwives in the 1920s in Kentucky. And she said, and this is in Brooklyn. I ran into her in Brooklyn. And she goes, that's where I studied. Really? That's where I studied. Yeah. And we had never talked about that. Yeah. So small world. Um, I found the frontier nurses just hugely inspirational and um you know i felt like it was something i hadn't learned about when i was a kid no. growing up in kentucky it no. hadn't been taught in school nor did we learn about the pack horse no. librarians either so that's you know the way i work is that when i start researching something i collect a lot of photographs and so i had a lot of photographs up of the frontier nurses but then i came across a photograph of a woman on horseback uh, with a saddlebag, handing a book to another woman. And I said, I have to know what's going on here. And I found out about the Pack Horse Librarians, and I wrote that book, Woman. Uh, and that, was that a children's Yes. Book? So it's a picture book. Uh -huh. um, uh, you know, they say from four to eight-year-old. Um, and this was published in 2008. But let me tell you, this story has gone around the world. Um, it continues to sell it um it is published in japan it is part of the curriculum in south korea so every fifth grader reads this book and you know it's a kentucky story it's about uh the impact a book woman had on a little boy named cal i write fiction by the way i do a lot of research um and i wanted to write about the pack horse librarians that um, that program was in the 1930s in eastern kentucky but i didn't want to write a nonfiction book um i'm a very character driven writer uh i I look at the photographs I have on my bulletin board, and a character will start speaking to me. And in this story, Cal, who's a little boy growing up in the Appalachian Mountains in the 1930s, um, he's he can farm, he can help around uh, with his his dad farming, um, but he's a little sh ashamed of the fact that he can't read. Um, and he doesn't understand at first why this book woman keeps coming up every couple of weeks with books. And, you know, the Pack Horse librarians, they, um, 
they were in place because there weren't many libraries in 1930s in Appalachia. Mm-hmm. There were hard. There were not many schools, um, and this was a way to get books to the people of Appalachia. Um, when were, what year was this published? Um, this is 2008. Yeah, you know what's fascinating to me about this, and, and I have to tell you, Heather, I, I did not know that you had done this work, but um, we are um, friends, as you probably are too, of Kim Michelle Richardson yes, and, yes. and the work that she's done on yes. this subject, and also the controversy with Jojo Moynes uh, yes. uh, from uh, uh, England and, yes. and the book that she wrote and the controversy about uh, Kim Michelle's book and, and Jojo Moynes' book mm-hmm. and all of that. Um, it, pack horse librarians have become sort of uh, the Hot. thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and 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 you had it. Let's see. Oh gosh, they didn't it's, publish theirs until the teens. You no, know, the, the so yeah, I do have people coming up to me all the time and saying, "Oh, it's so great that you did a children's book based on that." And uh, I'll be like, eh, "I yeah. did this a long time ago." Yeah. But you know, I was amazed that no one had really grabbed onto this story. I felt like it was such an important part of Kentucky history and women's history. Um, they made such a difference in the lives of the people of Appalachia. Um, and, you know, Kentucky still has an incredibly strong bookmobile program. Yeah. And um, so we have roots in, in this outreach. Uh, uh, I actually have been a board member of our local library for 10 years, and, and so outreach is very important to me. Well, but, the, yeah, I did this a while tell ago. Tell me about the illustrator. And, David or, Small. Just tell me about illustrators uh, yeah. in, in all your books and uh, what you learned about choosing uh, an illustrator when you were in New York, and now you're you're. Uh, do, do you get to choose the? No, illustrator? I do oh, not. You do so not. that's the thing. I think a lot of people don't understand with uh, with children's book writers. Um, they think, oh, we have to get an illustrator and send it somewhere. No, I send my manuscript to my editor. She chooses an illustrator. I do have a little bit of a say because you know I have a history of uh, you know I was an editor, mm-hmm. but I was incredibly fortunate that David Small wanted to illustrate that book woman he's a Caldecott medal winner he's published many many 50 books for for kids Um, and this was only my second picture book and so he took it and I I was really amazed and this story like I say I mean it's gone around the world Um, it's a Kentucky story but it seems to resonate with many different cultures and you know I always thought why aren't more people finding out about this these pack horse librarians so I'm I'm actually really overjoyed with the with the I don't like the controversy but I love that people are knowing about the pack horse librarians so what followed uh, that book woman well, um, that book woman, I then wrote my first middle grade novel, which was called Here's How I See It, Here's How It Is. And it was about a young girl growing up in a summer stock theater, much like Pioneer Playhouse. Mm. Okay. All right. <laughs> so again, I always feel as a fiction writer, there's a kernel of truth in something I do, but I, I, I like to write fiction. I, I don't write nonfiction. In some ways, maybe fiction is more truthful, and, and I don't know. What has been your most successful uh, children's? Uh, I would say book? that book woman. Yeah. That book woman continues. I mean, for a picture book to still be in print and actually still selling, um, you know, it was published in two thousand eight. 
is pretty years. remarkable. Yeah. Um, and so it really has kind of become a, a classic. It's it's taught in schools and uh, librarians love it because it really is a love letter to librarians. I mean, I love librarians, and it's it's about you know uh, a librarian's dedication to bringing books to kids. Uh-huh. Well, we're going to uh, take a, a quick uh, pause for our wonderful underwriters at Spalding University and then come back and, uh, and, and jump uh, a little forward unless there's something else that you want to fill in there uh, with RECT and uh, talk about your, your newest book. Uh, we'll do that right after we hear from our friends at Spalding University. As a Kentucky humanities lover, You've heard of Spalding University's nationally distinguished MFA in Creative Writing. Now at the Naslin Mann Graduate School of Writing, we've added two innovative programs in professional writing. Your career goals take center stage as you work one-on-one with a faculty mentor to gain the writing skills employer's prize. Learn more about our low residency master's and certificate in professional writing at spalding.edu forward slash writing or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. Heather Henson's our guest today on the podcast. She will be uh, one of our featured uh, authors uh, at the 41st Annual Kentucky Book Festival. Uh, as she uh, so aptly and happily pointed out uh, when we began, uh, the, the largest book festival in the United States and maybe um, the only one that's held in a, in a book uh, store. Uh, Joseph Beth Booksellers uh, in Lexington Green is our partner and we are there for the second year in a row with, with lots of uh, different things this year. We've got to, we're really concentrating on, we're talking about children's books today. Uh, besides the headliners that you expect to see at a book festival, we thought it was time to turn some uh, attention to the kids and there's gonna be face painting and there's going to be um, a, a, a costume a contest and just all sorts of fun things. So families of, uh, with, with youngsters, please uh, think about bringing uh, those kids out. And I tell you what, I'm going to have my eye for my, my grandson Henry on uh, that book woman. I don't have that and I don't believe he has it. And I, I think uh, just looking at uh, Heather's uh, writing of that and the illustrations is something that he should have in his library. So uh, your back titles Thank will you. be there, right? <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, let's, let's, <laughs> I let's, think so. I think so. Before I announce that, yeah. we better be sure about that, but I I'm sure so. they will. Something but a lot will. of times, I mean, I've been, uh, they usually take care of me. And then, you know, uh, um, again, that book woman is, is such a big part of Kentucky history, and so they usually have it there. Yeah. So. Well, you um, have written others. You've written uh, YA work. Um, and uh, if, if there's something you want to to talk about before you move into your latest uh, novel. And yeah, maybe your grandson also Lift Your Light a Little Higher, which is the story of Stephen Bishop, um, the best known guide of Mammoth Cave. Um, And uh, the illustrator Brian Collier, again, is a Caldecott, um, Coretta Scott King. And and again, I'm very fortunate um, that uh, these illustrators have, have connected with the work and wanted to illustrate it. Let me ask you, uh, Heather. How does an illustrator work? Do Do you send them? Does the uh, Does the editor send them a the editor a, sends a draft or a, yes. 
Well, I go through many drafts. I think also a lot of people think that children's books, you know, uh, you just write it and send it off and it's short. It's not that hard. But, you know, picture books are actually a lot like poetry. Um, Every word matters. You have to tell a lot in a, a small space. Um, so yeah, I, I work on many drafts with my editor when she feels that it's finally good enough and, and final enough, she will send it to an illustrator and see if they're interested. And, and sometimes the first one is, sometimes it takes a couple of times. Um, but luckily Brian Collier, um, who illustrated lift your light a little higher, he had a break because he's incredibly, he, he, he does many, many books a year and he had kind of a a space and he took that on and he actually came down to Kentucky um, cause he's from New York, um, to visit Mammoth Cave and, and did a lot of research. Boy, the pictures, the gorgeous, illustrations just gorgeous. Just beautiful. So I think that will be at the book fair. He, um, he did, he did collage. Cave? He went to Mammoth Cave. I was going to say, the writing he on, the, went, on the, yeah, on. he went to Mammoth Cave. He works in collage. He actually had, um, a drama class at a high school in New Jersey kind of act out, um, the story. And then he would draw, um, them and kind of take pictures and and put it all together. So if you actually were able to see this uh, art, it's almost like quilt. It's it's three D. It's it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> have you ever been uh, and not with this or not with that book, woman? Have you ever been disappointed in the way an illustrator? interpreted your words? No, I really haven't um, because I I feel incredibly fortunate. The ones that um, my editor chose, uh, they're amazing. I will say, I'll tell you one quick story. I I know we don't have a huge amount of time, but that book woman, um, when I finished it and my editor sent it off, I really, because David Small is such a big deal, um, I never saw sketches. I really only saw it uh, the editor goes through the sketches, all of the things, but she she didn't show it to me. And so I really saw the art when it was pretty much done. And my editor called me and she said, hey, you know, David changed something and I hope you're going to be okay with it. And I was like, mm-hmm. um, he changed the age of the main character, the, the narrator, Cal. He made him older than his sister, Lark. And um, I was like, was he just not paying attention? Did he not realize, you know? But what David did made the book more powerful because making Cal older than his sister Lark, and she is the one who has to teach him how to read and he has to ask her to partway through the story, made it so much more poignant. Um, And so David, you know, he's been doing this a long time. He knew the right thing to do. So it worked. <laughs> it worked. It worked for you. And, that was and it's the actually thing. the most powerful. I mean, people, you know, I'll talk about that with teachers and librarians, and it is an incredibly powerful part of the book. Uh, your novel, Wrecked, uh, yeah. your latest publication, uh, the one that will be, I guess, uh, on the stand at uh, the Kentucky Book Festival, yes. along with your other back titles. Uh, was this a long time coming? Was this something that it almost seems like uh, Heather that that Kentuckians, unfortunately, especially uh, Eastern Kentuckians, have lived this story for so long, and there have been other uh, novels based on uh, the opioid epidemic. Mm-hmm. But I don't think anything was was based on uh, a work by Shakespeare, no. uh, which you sort of model that. And 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 again, uh, your background in theater. 
uh, took you in that direction? Yes, for sure. There's no question. Um, you know, I grew up in the world of theater, and my dad was always quoting Shakespeare. So I, from a young age, you know, loved Shakespeare and just loved the words, the rhythm, um, the stories. And um, when I wrote my first middle grade novel, Here's How I See It, Here's How It Is, um, the theater company in the novel does The Tempest. Um, the Tempest is one of my favorite Shakespeare plays. Um, and so from that time on, um, I, I keep journals and I keep my a book of ideas. And I knew I wanted to take The Tempest. I just was really pulled toward um, the iconic story of a young girl and her father who have been stranded on a deserted island for 12 years. Um, and I just felt like I want to take that framework and do something contemporary with it. But I, you know, honestly, it's been 10 years in the thinking about what to do with it. And I would make starts and stops. And I wrote other books in between that. But I always had in the back of my head, I want to work on this. You know, I would pitch it to my editor. I would say, hey, uh, maybe The Tempest um, told as a post-apocalyptic story. Because that would fit with the whole uh, father and daughter being deserted, being, you know, on a landscape that no one else is living. Um, maybe even futuristic. They're in space. They've been stranded in space somewhere. So I kept trying these different angles, um, but they never really worked. And then suddenly, a few years ago, uh, when I again was going back to this idea and really trying to think about what I wanted to do, every day there was a story in the paper about meth and about, um, you know, meth house exploding kids being taken from uh, parents who were dealing meth or were or, or cooking it. Um, and so I just started thinking, what if um, the character of Prospero, who becomes a wizard in The Tempest, what if his magic is something like meth, where he is someone who cooks meth, becomes good at it, um, in the beginning doesn't think it's going to overtake him, but does, and affects his family. And so as soon as I came up with that, I called my editor, actually, and I said, you know, I'm, I want to do a meth tempest. And I don't mean to make light of that, but that's kind of what I said. And, and she automatically said, yes. She picked yeah. up on it right yeah. away. Didn't yeah. question you at all yeah. about it. No, she said yes. Yeah. That's it. And I do feel like because, you know, again, meth, um, it's at that time as well, it kind of seemed like it, it wasn't, it hadn't been used for a while, but the reason that meth was having such a resurgence is because it was an easy drug to make. And at that time, you know, uh, every you couldn't get oxy. Uh, people who had been become addicted uh, during the opioid crisis, you know, couldn't find other ways um, to to. Get high. high. Yeah. And it, so meth is something you can make at home. How much research did you have to do? I did a lot of research. Did you I go, did. Did you go to a lab? Um, I did not go to a lab. I guess I read a lot mm -hmm. about labs. I talked to reporters who had been, you know, in homes once they had been raided. I talked mm -hmm. to police. Um, so I did a lot of research, but I didn't physically go. Um, but I do have, I have to say, um, I've had experiences with people I've known um, who 
worked, you know, uh, at the Pioneer Playhouse, or uh, we also run a campground along with the Playhouse that would get wrapped up in it, and we would become shocked, and we would find out later, uh, because the police would raid their place, that they were, in fact, cooking meth. So I do kind of feel like I have a very personal tie. You have... um your book marked with a, a few sticky notes. Yeah. Is there a short passage you, you might read just a bit of? Sure. It's a little hard uh, with this just book to, to pick because I have to say um, it's uh, three different points of view. So another thing, let me just say, uh, you know, with The Tempest, we really are focused on the adults in the story, Prospero. Um uh, and Miranda, his daughter, is kind of a tangential character. She's kind of backstory. But that was another thing coming at it from writing for young adults and, and kids. I wanted to focus on Miranda and what is her take as a 16-year-old girl, having this dad who's a wizard, who has magic powers, who also has a temper, who wants to bring people to his island to uh, seek revenge. Um, also, she falls in love for the first time. She sees the first human she's ever seen besides her father. So I kind of wanted to take all of that um, and and pull it together in this story. So it's three different points of view. Miri is Miranda, um, uh, Fenn is Ferdinand, and uh, Caliban becomes Clay mm-hmm. in this story. Yeah, and I'm actually not sure which one I want to read. <laughs> well, just, you, you, you do the you do the choosing. Uh, they're all uh, well uh, drawn and. Uh, uh, Really I was hoping you would tell me, and then I would. <laughs> and also, there's a bit. There are a few uh, uh, four-letter words in here, so I'm not sure yeah. if radio. That's a <laughs> podcast. Well, uh, <laughs> we might have to bleep those out, but okay. let's give it a go. Why don't you read? I mean, isn't uh, and it is pronounced Mary. Mary. Mary um, is spelled M-I-R-I. Yes. Uh, she She's more or less the the, the female protagonist, yeah, uh, if you is. will. And, yeah. and I don't know if you have turned to that page or not, uh, but uh, read a little bit okay. about her, just a little I'll bit. I'll read just yeah. the first, uh, yeah, this is the very first chapter. This is our first introduction. Mary. Poe's talking black helicopters again. Never a good sign. One got real close, circled right overhead, Poe says, while Mary's waiting for the coffee pot to finish doing its thing. Can't believe you slept through it. I sleep the sleep of the just, Mary mumbles. Some old quote from some old book. She can't remember exactly in her pre-caffeinated state. Meant mostly as a joke. But Poe is serious this morning. You don't think I'm just? Mary keeps her eyes on the gurgling black liquid. Stays silent. Poe's her dad. And a lot of other things besides. She does a good job of ignoring those other things most of the time. That's fine. I, was, I thought you were pausing, but you were going to go on. But, but uh, uh, that's uh, Heather reading from uh, Wrecked and uh, uh, reading about uh, uh, Mary, uh, the protagonist in, in the novel, um, which has just been published this year uh, by Simon & Schuster. Yeah. Uh, you ought to be very proud of that. Um, Thank you. Yeah. And uh, so uh, now moving forward, um, I know you're working on probably several things yeah, uh, at this moment. Yeah. So can you give us a hint about what's next? Well, um, yeah, I'm always working on things and kind of juggling what's going to what's gonna take 
to the forefront. But um, uh, I have another young adult. Um, again, like going back full circle, my first book was for young adults, but then I kind of focused on picture books, middle grade. And, uh, you know, with Wrecked, I came back to young adult fiction. And that will be my next book as well. And um, I mentioned that we actually have a campground at Pioneer Playhouse. And what we found in the last few years is that there are a lot of kids um, whose families uh, can no longer afford, you know, regular rent, and they end up living at the campground. And so I think there is an issue that a lot of people don't know in Kentucky about homelessness, and um, and I'm going to address that in my in my next novel. Oh wow, yeah, I think that uh, shining some light, um, some words on that uh, issue. Yeah. Uh, would be very important yeah. uh, because I think you're exactly right. And I feel that, you know, I've never felt that as a writer you should write down to kids. Um, I really feel like, you know, kids are dealing with a lot. Um, they, they're things that are going on in their lives. And, and with a book like um, Wrecked, if it speaks to someone who's maybe going through something, you know, Miri's dad is a, a drug dealer. Um, if it speaks to something that a kid out there is going through, uh, that makes me, you know, it it makes it all worthwhile. Uh, Heather, as we close out, uh, you've been to uh, many book uh, fairs, book festivals. Uh, you've been to signings. Uh, you've greeted the public with your work. Uh, what's it like for a writer to be celebrated, to be uh, at a table, much like uh, our podcast table here, <laughs> where people come up and they want to meet you, they want to thank you. Uh, uh, some have already read the book and uh, or are buying it for the first time. What, what, what's that feeling for you? Um, what's that like? It's wonderful. I mean, it's just, um, you know, as a writer, you spend a lot of time alone. Um, you have to like being alone and, and working on your stuff. But, you know, when your book is published and it's out there and, um, you know, you have uh, readers coming up to you and saying they loved it or looking at it and saying, hey, I'd really like to read this book. Um, it, it, it's pretty humbling and it's, um, it's an amazing feeling. And especially with young readers, um, you know, you can really, really make readers for life, you know, if they find a book that they really love. So, um, it's amazing. And I, as I've said, I love the Kentucky book festival. Um, Kentucky is my home state. So a lot of people come up and they might know me or from the year before they might know me from Pioneer Playhouse. And, and so it's always just kind of seeing old friends and it, it's just so much fun. Um, the Kentucky book fest, just so well, much fun. Thank you so much for coming in today. And we look forward to seeing you, um, at the festival. And, uh, I know you'll have a lot of people and you'll be quite busy, uh, the day of, and, uh, maybe at some of the other events too. So thank you. Uh, thanks and good luck to you. And we'll look forward to the next edition of whatever it happens to be. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 50 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.